Hello, 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 and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Podcast. So before I go into today's episode, I am delighted to announce that the next intake of the Female Fat Loss Program is now open. So the next intake is starting on the 4th of September, 2023. So this is going to be the biggest intake. This is going to be bigger and better than ever. I've got a new coach to come in and help me as well. So this is perfect for someone if you've tried every diet under the sun, whether it comes from keto, intermittent fasting, someone that you're maybe very skeptical about the fitness industry, you might have been scammed out of certain clubs, you believe in sins. But the one thing that I would say about this program is it's actually been, been designed by previous clients. And if you're trying to get away from that yo-yo dieting background, trying to get away from that diet starts Monday cycle, this is the perfect thing for you. So what this program is, is a six week program. You'll get weekly check-ins with myself. You will get tailored program with videos. So you've got an option of home workouts uh, that you've got an option of a three day home workout program with videos. You've got an option of a four day gym program with videos, or you've got an option of three day gym program with videos. You can do your own training if you wish, but those programs are provided to you. You've got tailored calories and macros that are perfectly set for you based off your activity and your needs and your age. You have got recipe books, which are perfect. The brownies in their class. You've got a Facebook group, which is a perfect place for support. Weekly lives are in there every Tuesday. And then you've got personalized weekly check-ins with myself. So it's, it's an amazing program. And I would say the last one, in April and I haven't run it for April since April because I wanted to make it even bigger and better and I wanted to make sure that it was going to be bigger and better. I want to improve things as it grows. I'm not just going to stagnate and not let the program grow into what it wants to be. So the price of the program for six weeks is very, very cheap. It is 99 euro. So if you're looking for kind of, if you're on a budget or you're looking for a lower barrier entry into a program, 99 euro, you're not going to get it lower. The normal price is 149 euro. So that will be going up in the next week or so that to, to full price. So if you're interested in doing that, I wouldn't wait around. So if you're interested in working with me in the female fat loss program, click on the link in the show notes, book your place before it sells out because the last one sold out in a very short space of time and I wouldn't wait around. So the biggest thing that I would say is it's not gonna be a sin in sight. You're just gonna get results, improve relationship with food, learn how to train, around your cycle, learn about perimenopause, PCOS, endometriosis, all these various different things, and you'll get the results you're looking for. So if you're interested in working with me, click on the link in the show notes and we'll book your space. And we'll see you on the 4th of September. Hello and welcome to the new episode of the Shane Walsh podcast. So today's episode is a little bit different in that it is an interview that I did with Michael Doyle. So Michael, I am delighted to announce is joining the coaching team at Shane Walsh Fitness. So Michael is going to be working with the group clients and then we're going to be bringing him into working with some of the new one-to-one clients going forward. So Michael is a PT uh, and he is extremely knowledgeable in a lot of different areas and a lot of different pieces. He's been working in the industry for a couple of years and one of the things that stands out from the crowd for me since I spoke to him and I've spoken to him three, four, five times, I think five times at this stage, is he actually gives a shit. And that's rare in this industry, and I don't want him to ever lose that, but he's also looking and willing to learn so much. So give Michael a follow. I'll put his link into the show notes and you give him a follow. Follow, listen to the podcast if you want as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. It talks about perimenopause, talks about PCOS, talks about the menstrual cycle, talks about the pill, talks about a few different other things about the industry. 
and about kind of social media and the impact it can have as well on people so some may agree with it some may not agree with it some of the views that i have but i think it's it's a useful episode for someone looking to kind of change a lot of the belief systems around things so hopefully you enjoy it and please welcome michael to the shane walsh fitness team hi shane welcome to the podcast thanks very much for having me michael so for anyone that doesn't know, Shane is a online coach from based in Dublin and he's a female fat loss specialist. So for anyone that doesn't know you or hasn't came across your content before, just give us a bit of a brief background on who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I am Shane Walsh. I'm an online coach, nutritionist, uh, PT and host of the Shane Walsh podcast. I think we're nearly up to 390 episodes on that and I've had some Pretty cool guests on that so far, from ranging from Jaren Cartel to Jordan Syce to Brian Keane to Amelia Thompson. There's loads of different guests on it, so it's, it's pretty cool. It's been a cool element of it. Uh, so yeah, I I was always into kind of fitness and all that kind of stuff. I only started being a PT, as I said to you, before we kind of came on when I was thirty. So it was a late bloomer to us. Um, and I was in sales and recruitment for years, and then so in 2017. Um, my health went really bad because I was wrong ladder against the wrong wall. I blood clots flew in my lungs and I got to the point where my mental health deteriorated so bad I bought sleeping tablets to kind of finish myself. Um, but I heard a sentence on a podcast. I'd never listened to any podcast ever before. I heard a podcast and it says, sort of where I came, came across it, to be honest with you, because I wasn't into fitness. And the whole point of it was that I was going to stop caring what other people think. So I rang my parents and they were like, yeah, we knew you weren't right for a while. Because I had lost probably about 10 kg in about six weeks. Because uh, I just couldn't eat. I just wasn't, I had no interest. wasn't moving, wasn't, wasn't doing anything. Uh, I just had no interest. So I went off to counseling. Got sore. I wasn't allowed to work for about nine months. And then I did my PT course. I booked it on the flight home from Vietnam. And they did two, face-to-face PT for two years. And 10 weeks before lockdown, I quit face-to-face face PT and went fully online. And now working with the amazing group clients that I have and also the face-to-face clients that I have. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a whirlwind in the last kind of five and a half years. But it's it's been cool. It's been – or six and a half years, should I say. But it's it's been cool. It's been, it's been a cool journey. That's really interesting to hear. Like it's something you don't hear a lot of people talking about starting something like personal training at the age of thirty. So one thing actually on that that I want to ask is, what would you say to somebody who's maybe been in a certain job for maybe five, ten years, and then maybe around that thirty mark, and they think that they'd like to change career, but they're not. They're not too sure. But I'd say somebody wants to go and start their own business but they don't know how to go about making that leap what would be your advice on that so my situation is a little bit different because i didn't have any kids uh i didn't have a mortgage didn't have any of that kind of stuff at that time um so it was a little bit different for me so i can only talk about my experience i know when those complications kind of come into it it's a very different situation uh, i even know one of my best mates now he has a kid he's got a mortgage and he was in a fortunate position. He got he was in a very, very high paying profile job. And he I thought he was going to be in there for for life. I really did. And his job, he's been there since he was a graduate. So he's been there 12, 13 years. And he got the opportunity to go and started going into a startup. 
um, and he went and did it. And the biggest thing I can I saw him on Saturday night, and I kind of said to him like, "You look a lot more content. Uh, you look a lot more at ease." And he was like, "I can feel it. I've stopped kind of having a glass of wine most nights in order to de-stress. And my most important thing is my kids right now, uh, or his daughter right now, and." He just felt a lot more at ease because he wasn't putting the pressure on himself to work for someone else because he was, I found that myself was, I was, because I was in sales and recruitment, the bottom line was always the bottom line for the main business. And that was what was driving the pressure that was coming on me. But I felt with going solo, I was kind of like the book stops with me. If it doesn't work, I can always go back and do something else. But I always felt this urge of kind of going into being something self-employed. I didn't know what it was. Uh, but I would say someone who's looking to go into it, it's kind of like, well, what do you actually want to do? Like, where do you want to be in five years? Do you want to be stuck where you are? Do you want to potentially venture out and try and try and do something? If there's this imposter syndrome, which people think about and talk about an awful lot, I think imposter syndrome is actually a good thing because it now it means that you're getting out of your comfort zone. Like this day, there's, there's times you will fail. There will be lessons to be learned along the way. There will be times you overspend on certain things. There will be times where you make accounting mistakes. There will be times you make a marketing budget mistake. There will be times that you mess up. But it's it's learning along the way. It's a lot more challenging. There are a lot more highs and lows. It can be lonely, but there's a lot more rewarding at the end because you've got more of a sense of achievement, fulfillment to it. So if someone's looking to do it, look at where you want to be in about five years. Maybe look at do you know what you want to do? And maybe talk to someone who else, someone else has done it. Um, and then I would just like, all right, what way can I do it? Can you do it as a mixer while working another job? And then once you get to a certain level that you can comfortably live off, like you're going to have to eat shit for maybe about two years or three years in order to do it. Uh, but I've seen other success stories that if they've been working for someone else doing something in the background, and then after 18 months, a year, two years, they've quit the job. It might be on less money, but they're a lot more fulfilled. They're a lot more, like you don't want to be lying on your deathbed saying, I wish I did that, I wish I did that. And if you've got kids and they're watching you, like do you want to be looking at, do you want your kids to be looking at you, you being miserable? Or do you want your kids looking at you saying, I'm proud of them by being able to put food on the table, being happy and being content with what they want to do? Because ultimately they mimic what you do. So I think I would try and do something, talk to someone maybe around us, um and maybe yeah that's what i would what would i would probably try to recommend yeah that definitely seems more the most sensible approach um rather than like burning all bridges like doing something alongside what you are doing like even whenever i finished university um and i wanted to start coaching like i didn't just go oh i'm just going to coach here like i kept my job on in a shop and then moved on to working in a cafe i was working in a cafe for like eight months to know pretty much full-time and then coaching in the evenings and doing my online work at the weekends um and that was able to keep things afloat for a while until i was able to actually take that leap like it's it's something everyone really you, you has to do because you need to get money from somewhere and as you say whenever you do start your own business like i think everybody who's any coach listening to this will know about that eating shit for the first couple of years phase like it's it's definitely a thing um but it's just about sticking with it like um so i'd pull up a question box on facebook or sorry instagram to basically see if people had any questions for you for the podcast and a lot of the questions coming through were quite similar so i've kind of condensed them into 
four main questions to cover everything that you specialize in um and then we'll just kind of go from there so firstly what confused kind of a lot of people um when i put up that you were a female fat loss specialist was and there's a few men actually asking this as well why is female fat loss different than it is for men so if, imagine if someone has absolutely no idea um about why there's any difference in training or nutrition for someone losing body fat man versus woman why what's the what's the big picture on that why is that different yeah it's a really interesting question it's a really interesting topic um so with the man i don't want to bring in genders i hate these fucking questions i bring in genders but the with people who have menstrual cycles um they have a menstrual cycle and that impacts weight loss so if you are say if i was trying to lose weight i would probably see a continuous if i was doing it right and being adherent i'd probably see a continuous drop in my weight week on week on week on week but with the menstrual cycle there's very different stages and those different stages can have an impact on your mood they can have an impact on your hunger your training your weight and that can have a massive impact so the menstrual cycle has a massive massive impact on a lot of different things and one of the big things i talk about with clients is using this whole comparison of like like week or like week and what i mean by that is have you ever noticed when you step on the scales and you're on your the cycle week and you notice there's a big old spike in the weight kind of like yeah that's completely normal your hormone there's different hormones there's a bit more water weight you may not have gone to the bathroom digestion is slowed all these kind of different factors so you're better off looking at things that are like week or like week so maybe week one of your cycle which is week of your cycle uh in june and compare it to the same measurements and weight in july and then do it in august and you'll be able to see a continuous trend right? i can benchmark it off that but if you compare it to week one of your cycle to say ovulation week it's going to be two different readings it's like comparing chalk and cheese so that's why those fluctuations can happen fluctuations are normal for all humans but it's also very normal at different stages of the cycle most people i've seen clients put on 15 pounds over a mess on their, their, their stage of the cycle uh, i've seen clients drop weight on the stage of cycle but it's about understanding you because every single person who has a menstrual cycle is a completely, completely different person to the next person there could be stages where they're a little bit hornier around ovulation which works because the only time to get fertile or it's only to get time to get pregnant is around ovulation having sex outside that window is like having sex with a doorknob it's not going to very achieve a lot so if you're horny, getting horny around ovulation, it, there's a reason for that. It's around to try and crave babies. Then the week before your cycle, you might find that you're getting a little bit more cravings. They, yeah, you need a little bit more food. Your metabolism speeds up. So it's kind of like having your car normally going at around 80 kilometers an hour. But around that kind of week before, your car, may, your car might be going at 120 kilometers an hour. So if your car is going at faster speed, it needs more food, aka more fuel, to operate. So that means that you are probably going to, because you're consuming that little bit more calories, probably around three to 500 calories is generally the safe place to go for. If it's more, it's more, but three to 500 calories is generally the recommendation. And that could allow you to have a little bit more food. And if you have a little bit more food in your stomach, that's going to increase your weight. It's not going to increase your body fat. It will increase your weight because it's different hormones. You have a little bit more food in your stomach. There could be a little bit more water weight. 
So is it harder to lose weight as if someone has a menstrual cycle? It can be. It can be a little bit slower, but does it mean it's impossible? 100% no. So that's that's a really big thing like um that I've even noticed with clients whenever I started I was actually going through your stuff and first found you on your podcast with Sean Casey and then started delving into the female fat loss stuff essentially learning from you and it was something where it would come up a few times with clients where I would have a client text me and say like I've done everything perfect this week I've hit my calories my steps have been nailed I've done my training um and my weight's been going down the past few weeks but it's just spiked up by a kilo today and it's higher this week than it was last week and you know they'll be kind of worrying going what's going on and then i would ask the question then about where they are the menstrual cycle and i would say oh it's you know my period's coming in two days and then i would go right chances are your weight's just spiked up this week because of this this and this and if you just keep doing everything right over the next week they'll start to go back down again and then that exact thing happened and all of a sudden the weight was down to even lower than it was like a week after and it was you know it's it's something where as well like I had fallen into the trap before when I first started getting an understanding of this of thinking that there was set stages in the cycle where weight should be a certain way and and I know that that's not the case so filling in on that like some people would say oh week one this should happen week two this should happen but it's a little bit different person to person would not be right yes everyone every single person is different i know there's the kind of like the general textbook answer of kind of like this should happen you should be hungrier at this stage you should be weaker at this stage your ligaments should be weaker at this stage or more flexible at this stage you may get cravings at this stage like that's not always the case i've got clients who are able to go through the whole cycle with no pain no discomfort no cravings even their hunger goes down at certain stages and then i've got clients who feel a really really weak uh, at certain stages they find that they're really strong at certain stages the generic textbook answer is the first half of the cycle is where you push it second half of the cycle is where you ease off that's the general textbook answer but i always get my clients to use it an, an app called flu or pindara or use a good old pen and paper and actually track their cycle and see right how strong am i how strong in the gym am i at this week how hungry am i at this week how has my mood this week? And generally, you'll be able to see in the first couple of months or three months of doing it, you'll be able to see, right, we'll see a trend of when that mood, that energy, that sleep, the disruption, the digestion is all changing. And if there's no changes or none, nothing happening, well, then we know that that's not going to be for you. Some people are a lot more aware of it. If someone's unconscious with the pill, which is someone's personal choice, those fluctuations won't be as high because they're not your real hormones. So you've got your male hormones, you've got your main hormones as progesterone and estrogen. You do have testosterone as well if you have a menstrual cycle. But with the the, the pill and contraceptive, the, the synthetic man-made hormones are called progestin and estradiol. So they're man-made. They're not going to have those natural fluctuations, a.k.a. your estrogen is kind of like, as Macy Hill calls it, it's your Beyonce hormone. It makes you feel sassy. It makes you feel like you, you're a lady. But then your progesterone is your calming hormone. So if you're not having those natural fluctuations and your mood might, might, might not be up or down as much, but then you might not have those cravings as much. You might not have the mood changes as much. So it's very, very person dependent. And I think if you can understand you, it's a hell of a lot easier for everyone else to understand you. Because if you, if you look at when your mood is maybe changing, 
um, sometimes it can be difficult for those around you as well. I'm not saying that's your fault. I'm not saying anything like that. What I'm saying is if you understand you, everyone else can understand you better. And if you are understood better, that has a massive impact on you and your well-being. So on that as well, one thing that was just sort of thought of there, something I've considered before, like how would this impact athletes say if you're preparing for competition say somebody's got a, a GSA, GA players and they have matched, you know, championships at a certain time and they know that the with their menstrual cycle their energy fluctuates coming up to these matches. Is there any advice you'd have for that or in terms of planning? Because surely it would make it a bit more difficult. Yeah, have you heard of have you heard of all the ACL injuries happening in the women's football matches for Arsenal and England and all that kind of stuff? So Leah Williamson was the Euro winning captain for England and for the women's Euros. And there's an amazing coach over in the UK called Emma Hayes. So she's the coach of Chelsea. And she saw she spotted a trend a while ago that the, the, the workload needs to change for the players at different stages of their cycle because at certain stages of your cycle, the ligaments or the ACL in particular, their ACL injuries are quite high amongst female athletes because their the flexibility or the ligaments change at a certain stage. So if you're more in tune with where you can train and where you can push, you'll know where you can maybe last the full 90 minutes or you may be only able to play 60 minutes or you may be able to only play 10 minutes. But if you're able to that, do that, and the coaches now are seeing feedback and they're doing scores on their strength, their cravings, their energy, all these kind of different things, and that's changing. And the Emma Hayes would probably be one of the first ones that actually brought that in and noticed that pattern. And that's directly given her the, the winning mentality of, I think she's won maybe three or four Premier Leagues, one European Cup, a couple of FA Cups, and a couple of Charity Shields. So she's reached rewards of being one of the kind of like the leading voices on that by adopting that mentality with her players. And that's definitely benefited her. It's definitely benefited Chelsea. It's definitely benefited the, the overall health and well-being of the players. But I think if, if that's understood uh, and you know when you can push hard and train hard, it's a hell of a lot easier for you to do it. Generally, the recommendations, the latter half, where you need to kind of ease off uh, but some people will be able to train as normal, so it's 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 very very beneficial. And I did an article in Irish Runner magazine on this very topic, um, so you can see. I remember Dan Asher Smith, who's a sprinter for England or Team GB, she did an, a, a really really candid open interview with BBC shortly after a race, and they're like, "Oh, she didn't race very well," and she kind of said, "No, I'm on my menstrual cycle." So she's openly said this in front of millions and millions of people on TV. And she said, well, I'm on cycle, so I knew I wasn't going to have a great race today. So she knew that how her body was working. She showed up for the event or whatever, just managed that it was her, when that race day was happening, it was in the same day as her cycle. She knew her energy wouldn't be great. She gave it a roll, but she knew what she knew she had more in her. And knowing that fact, then she went ahead and won her next race as well. So uh, because it wasn't at the same stage. Yeah, it's definitely something for a, a lot of people. A lot of people definitely don't consider, and it's something that people should consider, especially with the pressure athletes are put under. You know, it's something with female athletes, like definitely for people to be thinking about a little bit more and, you know, cutting players a little bit more slack because they don't know what's actually going on in the background. Um, so the next thing that I wanted to touch on, we've already mentioned it a little bit there, was the pills. So 
you've sort of covered that question of how does the, does the pill impact the fluctuations? It doesn't happen as much. Um, apart from that, what is your general take on the pills from a health perspective, from a fat loss perspective, um, and anything else? Pill is completely personal choice. If someone wants to use it, let them use it. If someone doesn't want to use it, don't use it. I think it's important to be able to be given all the information. Um, I think when conversations are very open and honest and candid conversations with clients, and a lot of them will kind of say, when they were 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, the pill was given to them because uh, they're having very difficult period pains. I was just given to them. And period pains when you're younger and you're a teenager are very, they're like the, the blood flow is heavier. Um, they're a lot more painful um, as it's happening. So as a one way to help that, pill can help someone who has heavy flow or has serious cramps or has PCOS in some areas, endometriosis. It, it like it should be used in some cases. Um, but it's giving that information to that individual for them to make an educated choice on that. I do think the information is changing an awful lot. I do think the pro-choice thing is changing an awful lot. The system has changed an awful lot, so a little bit of wiggle room to do it. Um, but it is personal choice. If someone's kind of like wanting to and say enjoy their 20s or they're with a partner or whatever it may be they don't want to get pregnant and they they don't want to use a condom well the pill will be the, the one that they could use and it's their personal choice if they don't want to do that can it impact on health overall there's some studies showing that it can because you're not getting your natural hormone of estrogen you're using estradiol that you can impact your natural bone health so estrogen kind of helps your bone health overall if you if you've got bone health you've less chance of osteoporosis osteopenia sarcopenia so what that means is if you fall over when you're older that you won't have if you fall you won't break your arm as much and just smash it into loads of pieces so your bones will be healthier you'll be stronger longer weight training and stuff like that it can definitely help but it's kind of it's it's weighing up what where you're at, what you want to do, and understanding what benefit you see in doing it at that at that stage, um, and understanding that it's not your natural hormones. Your mood could change. You won't have those highs and peaks, and if you decide to go off this off it after a while, you might find that the, the cycle might not come back for a few months, so you could get post pilomenorrhea. I've got clients coming off at the minute after consultation with the doctor, somewhere trying to try and conceive. I bet giving yourself the best opportunity if you are at that kind of natural conceiving age and are able to conceive, um, which is pro choice and up to you if you want to do it. Um, then it's giving yourself a long enough run in rather than just saying, right, I'm going off the pill, now let's get pregnant. You need to give yourself enough time to do it. It's kind of like a three to six month period of coming off it, getting your hormones to adjust, and then potentially trying. And hopefully um, that could be helping you uh, to try and give you the best option. So pedals pro choice. Um, there are some books out there and some studies out there that saying that it can, um, that can, it can almost, there's, I don't know how accurate these studies are, it's showing that it can change sexual preference and that it can change your personality. But I don't know how accurate those are. There's two sensationalist headlines or two sensationalist kind of uh, studies that kind of came out. Um, but 
it's interesting. It's uh, I'm trying. To, it's a pink book. I'm trying to remember the name of it now. Uh, uh, but it's 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 an interesting read. Uh, but it's there's a lot of information out there on the bill. I think the likes of Dr. Sarah J. Murphy and the likes of the Fit Clinic, which is owned by Michelle, and the likes of um, yeah, there's a few people out there that I would kind of recommend to kind of follow uh, out there as well. So Hazel Wass, Dr. Hazel Wass, is another one that I would kind of recommend to follow as well if you're looking for information on it. Perfect. That's definitely something for people to go and read up on if they are interested in that. Um, another question then someone had asked about was advice for people who are, who have PCOS. Um, that's another one that I've, I've listened to you talk extensively on before. So fill us in a little bit on that and how that will impact fat loss. Yeah, so PCOS is kind of one of those things that it's like, I think there's studies showing it's like one in 10 people have it, um, but most people actually don't understand what it is. Um, and I think it's even closer to maybe one in seven, one in six, or one in one in eight. It's like it's a lot more people than actually people realize that have it. So going to your doctor and actually talking to, to them about it and seeing if you do have it. So it's called PCOS and polycystic ovarian syndrome. So if you kind of, there's a criteria, it's called a Rotterdam criteria to see if you have it. So one, have you got polycystic ovaries on your ovaries? So it cysts on your ovaries is normal and can happen. Uh, so polycystic, over, polycystic ovaries, have you got uh, longer cycles than normal? Or have you got androgen excess, aka have you got excess hair growth on your face or whatever it is? Uh, and if you've got two out of those three, there's a good chance you have PCOS. Now, PCOS being diagnosed with it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It just means that it needs to be managed and the symptoms need to be managed. Um, so it's really, really important for us to kind of make sure that you manage the symptoms. So what one what way can you manage the symptoms? Some people say that weight loss is harder with PCOS. So they've done studies comparing people's metabolism to those who don't have PCOS with those who do have PCOS. So the the, the difference in calories that people think it used to be was like I think it was like 30, I think it was 20% or even 40%. I remember the exact numbers, but what that used to People used to latch on to saying, well, I can't lose weight. You, just, you can lose weight, but it's about managing the symptoms as best you can first. Um, so what you can do, that true numbers around 100 calories. To put that 100 calories into comparison, it's less than a chicken fillet. So to put that in comparison. So it's not a huge amount of calories that the difference is. Um, what makes it harder is those pe- people who have PCOS can have a little bit more of a predisposition to mental health issues, anxiety issues, depressive issues, uh, mental health issues. And if our mood is not in a safe place, that has a massive impact on our food choices because what's the one thing that we all go to when our moods low? Food or alcohol or other things. And that can have a massive impact on things. So food's been our one constant in our life, it's been our one comfort in our life, and we don't want to let it go. So if we're, if our mood is off and we're not in a safe place mentally, please go and talk to someone. Maybe CBT could be working for you and go to talk to someone about that. But food could be the one mechanism that you use. And if you increase your calories over time, then weight's going to increase. If you reduce your calories over time, well, then weight's going to decrease. So your mental health and your health and your anxiety, depression, all those kind of different things can have a massive impact on 
your mental well-being. Um, so can it be managed? 100% stress can be another thing that people need to manage, uh, particularly if you're someone that may be suffering from anxiety. Stress can be a massive trigger and might be a massive thing that you need to look at. So managing your stress, managing your, managing your symptoms, managing your mental health. So what ways can we do it? Strength training, like weight training, can be really beneficial. So people with the PCOS have excess, or can have increased levels of testosterone, which is the predominantly male hormone. But that means that building muscle is actually easier because you're stronger and it makes muscle building easier. So if you notice that why a male might get a little bit more kind of, what's the word, hedge or a little bit more muscle uh, compared to maybe someone who, who is in the male, uh, they might find that because that because your testosterone levels are increased. So it can be easier to build muscle. But if you're weight training, you're building muscle, your bones are feeling healthier, it could be managing your symptoms. So two to three weight sessions a week. Hit sessions can be really, really helpful as well uh, to manage your insulin sensitivity. What insulin sensitivity means is it doesn't mean that you have to give up carbs. I can assure you of that. So if you think of diabetics, what that with diabetes, your body cannot prevent cannot, cannot process the carbohydrates properly. And you might have these massive highs in sugar levels, and then you might have these massive drops in energy levels afterwards. With PCOS, these can happen, but they aren't as extreme. Now, that doesn't mean you give up carbohydrates completely, but this can look at, you need maybe you need to look at maybe switching to whole grain carbohydrates a little bit more than white starchy carbohydrates to manage your blood sugars a little bit more. But with HIIT sessions, that can help to manage your insulin resistance. It can help to manage that almond W. There's a lot of stories going around now at the minute that people need to stop doing HIIT. I'm kind of like, no, no. You can still do HIIT if your stress levels are being managed, if your sleep is being managed. It can really, really help you to do that. So HIIT can help. Walking can help. Eating regular protein can help to keep you fuller for longer. Bone health and uh, to keep um, muscle and grow muscle and repair muscle. Okay, having whole grain carbohydrates and for omegas. Uh, there's supplements you can do which are vitamin D. There's supplements called myoinositol, uh, which can help as well. So normally what they're saying now is kind of a mixture of myoinositol and decarbonositol. The way I compare it to is myo and decarbonositol are kind of like a mixture of one letter petrol and diesel put together. They used to say it was only myo and not take to decarbonositol. But they're saying now to take a mixture of the two. So research is always changing. And what that can help to do is to manage your insulin sensitivity, increase regularity of your cycle. Um, so if you've long windows on it, it can help to do that. Uh, so it is really useful. Two to four grams per day is a really, really safe place to take it. You can get it on most health food providers. Maybe go and get a hormone screen from your doctor. Could be the first protocol to see exactly what's going on. So if you've long cycle, maybe excess hair growth on your body, uh, and maybe that you have got polycystic ovaries on your ovaries, well, then you might have it. But I would go to talk to the doctor first, protocol, rather than self-diagnosing yourself. And then once you know that, well, then you can go right down the, the kind of remedy of, right, what can I do here? Well, you might be put onto the pill. Is it going to solve it? It might be if it's a really, really painful period when you do get your period. Is it going to solve the length and cycles? No, it's going to be an artificial cycle. It's going to be an artificial beat. It's not going to solve that. So if you're looking to be getting pregnant and all that kind of stuff with PCOS, 
maybe looking at your stress levels, your mental health, regular exercise, my own osteotol, that could help you on that. Perfect. Well, that's plenty for people to be delving into there. And as I say, getting advice from medical practitioners always going to be key too. Um, before doing anything, I think that's good, sensible advice for anyone to be taking before doing anything with their health. Um, and the last sort of topic people have been asking about too was so advice for people who are either perimenopausal or menopausal. Yeah. So there's a lot of talk about perimenopause and thank. God, there's talk about it because I think it was it was a um, taboo subject for a very very long time, um, and I I actually got called out twice heavily for talking about perimenopause because I was a male. Um, so yeah, the doctor had an issue because I was a male, and I went viral. Um, I got kind of some other person over in the UK um, kind of protected me and stood up for me and. So I think I put up a, me- a message about weight loss and perimenopause guys if possible. And then the person over in the States kind of called me out and she was a doctor of garbage. Um, I don't know what the fuck she was a doctor of. Uh, she called me out for being a male. Uh, I shouldn't be talking about it. Um, so with perimenopause, so perimenopause means around menopause. So generally, it's the stage before menopause. Menopause, on average in the UK, I think it's around age 51. And then perimenopause is the stage before that. So you might find that you're getting night sweats. You might find that you're getting hot flashes. You might find that your mood is a little bit left, right, center. You might also find that you're more anxious and might have depressive symptoms as well or PMDD. You might find that your cycles are irregular. You might find that they're shortened, longer, whatever it may be. And so for, for menopause to have occurred, you need to have no cycle for 12 months. When you're at that stage, it's pretty safe to say you're probably a perimenopause. You're probably menopausal. So, what can happen at perimenopause though is all those kind of different symptoms that I've mentioned already can happen, and it can make it a lot more difficult to feel like yourself. And then there's options kind of coming out of HOT, and then there's bioidentical stuff kind of coming out as well. So there was one study kind of put out there in like the early '90s, early 2000s of um, that I can cause breast cancer, HRT. And uh, they debunked that over and over and over again, that there is no link. If you are someone who has a history of breast cancer in the family where you have had it, then it might not be the best solution for you. You can go down the bioidentical route or your doctor will talk to you or else you can go down the CBT route. So there are options to you and options available to you. So it's making sure that talking to the doctor is the first point of call, getting your hormones checked, um, so getting your estrogen, your progesterone, your testosterone, your FSH, your LH, all these kind of different hormones, or your thyroid, all these kind of different ones that you, you need to kind of get your T1, your T2 to get checked. Um, and get those, make sure you're getting an NCT or an MOT, as they call it in the UK, on your body, and then you'll see exactly where you're at. Sometimes what can clients can feel is they're getting flobbed up, flobbed up by the medical professional, and that they're like, oh, you might be that, but there's no need to worry about it now. Or, well, the person's like, well, I actually don't feel right. So what's actually going on with me? And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. You're not there yet. Or there's new, I've had clients in the last week saying, right, I went to the doctor. My hormones showed up that I, the hormones were fluctuating. Didn't feel right for the last while. And I got her beforehand for three months to log her symptoms. What stages they were happening? What different cycles? 
how long were her cycles, how long was her flow, all these kind of different things. So she felt fo- she felt fobbed off by the doctor saying, oh, you're, part- you're probably perimenopause, there's no need to worry. And she, luckily she had this case study of her going into the going into the doctor with the booklet and saying, right, this is what has changed for me in the last kind of three to six months. So something's not right. I don't feel like myself. And they were a bit stunned. And because she had that, then she got the treatment. Then she got her HRT. She got her progesterone that she needed. Because if your progesterone is way off and your progesterone is, or your estrogen is way off, your mood is going to be off. Your, if you've got migraines, your estrogen is dropping too quickly. If your mood is off, your progesterone is off and your estrogen is probably dropping. So there's different stages of perimenopause. Your progesterone starts to waver first, then your estrogen, then your estrogen falls and your testosterone increases. So what can happen when people are finding like, well, I've got this perimenopause belly. And they literally had a DM before we came on of something, someone called the perimenopause haunch or belly, I think it's called. Um, and what generally what's happened is because your hormones are shifting and testosterone is increasing, where do men hold their weight? Their bellies. So because your testosterone which is the predominant male hormone and your other female hormones are dropping, what can happen is the shift in from you to carrying the weight in your legs and your hips are going from your butt into your bum and to your belly and the weight distribution changes and that kind of feel like a little bit uncomfortable on the stomach you kind of lose that maybe lean fat flatness that you had on your stomach beforehand and it's causing a little bit of a, a, a change in your shape and you're going from maybe apple to a pear sometimes that i hate using those words but that's generally what can happen so if you're talking to the doctor have a case study, talk to the doctor about it. Can you lose weight with perimenopause? Yes, but you need to manage the symptoms first. Because it's literally jack shit you can do if your sleep is off, if your mood is off. You need to get those sorted first. Um, it's the same things. Weight training two or three times a week, regular meals, three, four pro- portions of protein a day. Um, you can make sure you get some sleep, managing your stress, less alcohol, less caffeine. Um, those kind of things can really, really help. And then maybe talking to someone as well, they're the main ones I would talk about those top my head. That's really interesting there, what you said there, especially about the um, stomach, because I think that's something that a lot of people won't know and they'll maybe be in a position where they'll see those changes in their body at that age and all of a sudden start thinking, oh, I need to start losing weight again. I need to lose weight because they don't have the flat stomach that they maybe had when they were younger. And I think it's pretty interesting to know that, like, that's completely normal and something to be expected. And, like, I think, you know, people are always comparing themselves to things they see online and models and sort of crap like that. And, like, setting really unattainable standards for themselves. Um, And I think, like, it's something that a lot of of people will really always obsess over weight loss even whenever they get older and they're always trying to lose weight and always trying to lose weight when in reality the men not actually need to so what do you think about that in terms of the standards in the industry and and some people maybe shooting for a, a, a shape and a look that's maybe not actually attainable for a normal person this is kind of like it's it's a double-edged sword because i'm never going to tell someone how to look and feel so if someone's not happy, it's kind of like, why are they not happy? Where has that, that expectation come from or that ex- standard? So unfortunately, for a very long time, magazines, the media, TV, whatever it is, adverts have told 
women in particular, they need to look like a certain way in order to fit into society and to be accepted. And if you don't fit into that norm, well, then you're not going to be accepted. So what happens is when people lose weight, what happens? You generally get validation, you generally get comments, you generally get praise. So we seek that as a form of validation. And we're like, well, I want to feel good. I want to, I, the last time I was, what we tend to say is, well, I'll be happy at this weight. Kind of like, no, you won't. Like, well, are you happy at the last weight? It's like, no, I, I still had insecurities about my body when you dig into it with them. But I was getting comments from other people. So it's not that you're happy at that weight. It was more so that you were getting comments and validation you associate with being liked and accepted by other people. And then they're like, when they have that epiphany moment, they're like, holy shit. So I'm, I'm living my life to be accepted. We all want to be accepted by other people. There's no doubt about that. That's human nature. If we want this social connection. That's why COVID was so hard for so many of us. Because we didn't have that social acceptance. We didn't have that social communication. We didn't have that social need. We were missing that for a long time. Zoom is great and all, but it's not the same thing as getting a hug from someone. So... When people, that unrealistic expectation, people do have, I do believe people have a social responsibility to themselves of curating their social media feed. They have a social media feed of like, if you look at mine, it's football goals and stupid memes and puppies. Like it's literally none of us do with fitness. You can curate your feed on social media. Paul Germany, who I highly respect in the industry, is really I recommend to get Paul to talk about emotional eating and stuff on your podcast. If I really Paul's brilliant, Paul's mind is like it's frightening. He's like the Buddha from Galway. Um Galway's version of the Buddha. So he talks about like he has this Lionel Messi goals and puppies on his feed. And there's a reason why his head he looks after his headspace. I look after my headspace. Don't that doesn't say that I'm better than anyone. It doesn't say that I'm less than anyone it just says i'm proactively looking after my mental health because i've lost it before and i don't want to lose it again so when it comes to this should someone lose weight or someone should not lose weight if it's coming at the cost of your relationship with food it's a restrictive approach it's coming at the cost of your mental health and it's coming at the cost of relationships in general then i don't think it is a great idea if it's coming at the cost of right, I'm doing this for a short time and I'm doing this for me and you know your proper reason why then go do it if you're doing it out of hate I wouldn't recommend that either I've never seen anyone lose have successful weight loss losing something out of hate yes we can be uncomfortable with how we feel but what happens when we get uncomfortable we tend to want to change well I've never seen anyone change out of being too comfortable so it's too it's it's kind of like, are you changing for you or are you changing for other people? That's also a caveat. But it has to, like, a lot of people believe that in order to lose weight, they have to be restrictive. They're addicted, they're addicted to restriction because it's the only way they know how. They look at these ideas, ideologies on social media. They're like, well, this person's clearly not eating any food. Did you see the, did you see the social media influencer that died recently? No. So there's there's a media influencer, I think she's from Russia or somewhere in Eastern Europe. Uh and she went on a vegan diet. Right? So this is what's fucked up with the industry. A lot of people were saying the vegan diet caused her to die. Based off that. 
what caused her to die, unfortunately, was she had an eating disorder. And she didn't know how to get help or didn't didn't have the help or education or didn't have the people around her to say she needed to go and help. The eating disorder killed her. It wasn't the vegan diet, but people are too quick to go for these extreme ideologies with weight loss, two extremes with I'm going to go full keto, I'm going to go vegan, I'm going to go, I don't know, slimmer clubs, whatever it is, these stupid things that people do. Do they all work? Yes but they don't teach you anything. And eating disorder is a very, very different thing. Someone has an eating disorder, they shouldn't be losing weight. They need to be talking to someone and working through that side of things. And because it's never about the food. The food isn't the issue for people. It's how they see themselves. It's being projected onto the food. Perfect example. I'm being good because I had a salad. I'm being a bad person because I've had carbs. No, Putin is a bad person. You're not a bad person because you had carbs. You're not a good person because you had a salad you're probably being restrictive that doesn't mean you're being good but there's the kind of like the conundrum and kind of like the dichotomous thinking that an awful lot of people have is like no you're not being good you're being restrictive you think and you're like well why can't i stick to anything look at what you're having for your lunch it's a salad or a soup they're starters on a menu for a reason they're not going to fill you and you wonder why at three or four o'clock after you have them your energy is shite and then you end up picking and you can't stop picking because your energy is shite you're being restrictive if you had probably had a sandwich or leftovers the night before, you'd probably be able to stick to things a lot more. But people are like, oh, I'm trying to save calories for the evening. Why are we saving things for the evening? Why not have your chocolate bar with your cup of tea in the afternoon? If you want to have the chocolate, you can have the chocolate. It comes down to your total calories. Now, I'm making this sound like so simple, but so many people are addicted to this whole thing of I'm not worthy of feeling like I want to. I'm not worthy of eating these foods. I'm not worthy of getting to my goal. Fear of success, fear of failure, fear of self-worth, fear of judgment of others, fear of losing control. All these fears are very valid feelings. But they're driven by what other people are thinking. They're driven by other judgments. They're driven by a lot of different things. And I think we need to look at it from like, where do you want to go? I have no interest in losing weight. I've been a lot more muscle mass on me and I've had and I've all, I've been 62 kg and I've been 90 kg so that's 30 kg wing and weight I know where I've been happier it's in the middle I have no idea what I weigh I haven't weighed myself in a very very long time I couldn't give a shit I go by how I feel could I probably have a little bit more muscle mass on me right now in order to play sports and stuff yes but is it a priority for me right now no my mental health is my priority right now so hopefully that's a long-winded answer to a very short question no, that's perfect. Like, and I think what you touched on there about the idea of being good is something that I hear all the time. I'm sure, everyone has somebody, whether in the house or a friend, who always use that phrase of, "Oh, I was good during the week this week, or I was really good at the weekend," and it's like they're they're associating being good with not going out for a drink and not having a takeaway, whereas if they'd have said if they'd have had a Domino's on a Saturday night and a bottle of wine then they would be like, oh, I wasn't good this weekend. And it's breaking that sort of stigma of people thinking, oh, I'm being good if I'm not doing certain things. And that's a good way to put it. Like, you know, you're not being good. You're just being restrictive. Like, there's no morality with what you're eating. You know, like a, a pizza is not, pizza doesn't have an agenda. It's not going to try and kill you. You know, there's no good or bad foods. They don't have a moral compass. And that's something for a lot of people to understand. Um so one other thing that you touched on there that I actually want to get your take on, um, because I know a lot of people need to hear it. What's the crack of Slimming Clubs? 
Um, I think they're fantastic. I am the greatest things invented. Um, no, genuinely, right? If they work for you, ignore what I'm about to say. I think they are great in one area. Well, two areas. I learned a second area yesterday. So I put up a picture of a curly whirly up on my social media today. I'm in a poll of like, are they underrated or overrated? And the amount of people that messaged me saying, have you tried to put them in the freezer? I was like, this is too common. And then someone, another PT messaged me like, this is such a slimming club thing when they say it's a freezer. Because it slows you down the eating. But also, it slows down the eating because you've got no teeth left because you've frozen the feckin' thing. <laughs> so I was like, right, one, it's brought like curly whirly as a class, which they are. And anyone that disagrees, the same people that like bounties. So I judge you. Um, they are great for community. So you can bring a friend or bring whoever you want with you. And it's great of having the conversations and feel that you have that community sense. Because social support, there are studies showing that people who have support with themselves on a weight loss journey are more adherent and get better results. That's facts, right? What I disagree with oh, it's with on slimming clubs is the ideology of sins. Yeah. Sins aren't even spelled right. It's S-Y-N-S. That's not a word. Yeah. It means synergy or some other bizarre word. It's like phalange. It's like with the, the thing in Friends and Phoebe's on the planes. <laughs> like there's no there's no phalanges. Um so it's it's one of the but it's like a banana. A banana isn't a sin if it's whole. It is a sin if it's mushed. I'm kind of like, well, how do you eat a banana? It musters in your mouth. So it becomes a sin as you eat it. Like, common sense will prevail there. But because food is such an emotional thing and because we're willing to believe whatever we want to believe because our weight and how we feel is so one of the so important things because we're looking to control it. We're not to control our weight per se. We're looking to control the perception of what other people think of us. We're looking for that acceptance piece. So cinema clubs, the people who run it may not be provided with the education in order to help you. They are told that they don't teach you as much as they should because they aren't encouraged to do so, one. And if they are, they're discredited. And number three is the model is based on you coming back. It's a recurring revenue thing that they don't encourage you, don't educate you, they don't challenge your belief systems, your habits, any of that. So they want you to keep coming back to fill up their bank balance. So there's a lot of multifaceted areas. Do I think it's good for the, communi the community element of it? Yes. Do I think it's great for education? No, because it's none. Do I think it's great for the shaming element about when people sound the scales of tut tut if you're up, tut tut or high five if you're down? No, because it creates a self-worth mechanism to it. Do I think there should be an element of an age limit onto it? Yes, because I've had clients being brought there at the age of 11. Fuck. Yes. Yeah. Which fucks up people's relationship with food. I've also, does it, do I think that the people who are doing it need to be educated a little bit more? 100%. Uh, do I think that I need to encourage do I think the word sins is bullshit? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of, like, cinema clubs are great in a way. If it works for you, disregard what I've just said, because I know I'll get tribal hate from it. 
Um, but if people say, well, I've lost, I've lost weight on it before and it's worked, I'm like, no, definition of something working for you is keeping it off. I can lose five kg and put on ten kg. Doesn't mean it's worked. As I say, I've gone bank. I've got. I've gained. I've won the lottery, but then I've gone bankrupt. Doesn't mean you're rich. Same thing. Yeah, hundred percent agree with that. Like especially, like in terms of saying you know weight loss, it it only really has worked if you've been able to actually keep it off, and if you haven't, then the approach maybe hasn't been the best thing. Um, I think that happens a lot of the time. Whereas you'll see like. 12 week transformation posts of people and they've lost you know 20 kg in 12 weeks or something like that you know and you can tell it's been really really crazy and a lot of the time when i see them i'll worry and think you know has this been too quick so that person have them maybe over restricted you know and could it actually be a detrimental thing like so i think it's something that definitely coaches need to manage and look at um and anybody who's on a weight loss journey definitely needs to think about too like one of the best things I ever heard was about like whatever you do to lose weight, you need you need to do to be able to keep it off, and that's why like I've heard James Smith talk before about like the weight loss involving like an identity change. So what I'll say to clients, actually, was saying this to a new client I had on last week, is a lot of people will say, "I'm going to eat more protein to lose weight. I'm going to start doing more steps to lose weight," and I'll sort of say like reframe that and instead say, All right, I'm going to become a person that tries to have protein with every meal. I'm going to become a person that eats fruit and veg on a regular basis. I'm going to become a person that doesn't take an elevator when the stairs are available. I'll park further away from the shop. You know, I'm going to become a person that walks more. And by changing your habits in this way, you're far more likely to actually keep that weight off in the long term because you're eating in a slightly more nutrient-dense way and slightly more filling way, and you're moving more, which is essentially what's going to help people keep weight off and i think with with slimming clubs a lot of the time they're very focused on just losing 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 restricting 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 without maybe framing things in a way of imposing healthy habits that you're going to stick to people with people in the long term like one of my clients who i was chatting to last week um who's been with me for two years now and she initially started just wanted to lose body fat didn't have a lot to lose but did a cut um and I built calories up slowly and now for the past six months hasn't tracked a single calorie. Um is training away four or five days a week, training really hard, but just eats fairly well, but still enjoys what she wants and hasn't bothered tracking her weight at all. And it's in that position now where I think most people would want to be at some stage where it's just like a matter of eat plenty of fruit and veg, eat plenty of protein, do plenty of good exercise you know as much as you want to do and that's what it's really all about um at the end of the day yeah and that's a credit to you as a coach because that isn't an easy thing to do because there is an awful lot of fear attached to it around kind of increasing calories that i'll put on the weight but i think that's a credit to you for working on that element and that trust between you and the, the client i think that's rare um so that's that's major that's huge I think it's definitely something where a lot of people find the go the go too low in weight and they maybe look really good and like this this client in particular I know like she had maybe compared photos of at the end of the dating phase to where she was at now and she's going, uh, I don't feel that I look as skinny as I did there, but I'm sort of sitting going, But how do you feel? Do you know, and I'm like she's like, Oh, performing really well, feel really good, loads of energy and I'm like, you know, you still look really good like it's not like this razor lean level of low body fat isn't sustainable for anyone you know if you dieted 
forever, eventually you would die of starvation if you just kept continuing to lose weight. Um, and I've been really lean before. Like I t- I've talked to clients before about like when I did an MMS fight a couple of years ago, I was really, really restrictive with my cut for that because I had to do a same day weight cut, had to make 65 kg. Um, and on the morning of the fight, I weighed in at 65 on the button. So if I'd have been 0.1 kg heavier, I wouldn't have made weight, wouldn't have been able to fight. So coming up to that fight, I was following a meal plan with a coach, doing everything, weighing everything I did tea. The week before, actually, my family were having a party. I'm getting the Chinese for somebody's birthday. And I went around and sat with them while they had the Chinese with a tub of chicken, spinach, beetroot, salad, all that shit, and a fucking Tupperware thing. Like, that's how razor strict I was being. Had the fight on Saturday. And then the next week, I think I gained 4kg because I just binged like crazy. Like, I just, all I could think about the whole way through that cut was food and what I wanted to eat. And as soon as the fight was done, it was like an open season. And I think that happens with a lot of fighters and stuff as well, um, where the you know, their weight will fluctuate that much from, from weight cut to after the fight because it is so restrictive. And I think when you do that, take that razor restrictive approach, it does just lead to binging afterwards. Yeah, I can relate to that with my own fitness photo sheet that I did for the very, very wrong reasons. Um, there was no aftercare by the coach. There was no aftercare there was no care during it so I, I shouldn't have been allowed to do it i was in i was working too many hours my stress was heightened i was put on fat burners um but i didn't i don't agree with them I, I knew i shouldn't have done them but i just didn't bite back because i didn't feel comfortable on my own because i go this person is more experienced than me so i should be listening to them i think it's important that people have that relationship like you've got with that client and saying right this is they feel in a safe place that you can't question don't be afraid to question things if you're working with someone if you don't understand something ask if you were at work and you don't understand something you would ask the question of uh why are we doing this and i sometimes i i sometimes i have to i have to remember that i've said this a billion times to clients but it's the first time that mary down the road is hearing this sentence so i may need to describe it a different way for that to land it's like an rdl some people don't struggle with that hip hinge but I understand how it goes. I, it's just second nature to me. But it's the first part time for someone is trying to correct their form where their shoulders aren't rounding or it's impacting their lower back and they're going too heavy. They're not rolling down their legs. And it's trying to get, get try to come up with different mechanisms for different things. So, yeah, but I think that I think that's going to stand to you as a coach, though, as well. I think it's going to stand to you that you've gone through that whole thing and you kind of understood, right, that's not what was in line with your goals or your values. Your value was being able to enjoy that meal out with family and friends while still being able to make sure your goal but at that time and place you're like no the goal is more important it's okay when that that happens but if you know look back right now you said would you change would you do it again i don't know what the answer is yeah definitely that's the thing like um it depends what people want as well but sometimes these crash cuts can just be be quite detrimental and a lot of the time it's one it's one of the things where What's I would sort of be interested in what your stance is on photo shoots because it's something I'm I've never really been too sure about um myself because I think a lot of the time people do say a shoot and then always compare the way they look after to the way they looked in the shoot and that can be something that can be kind of harmful um but I guess it depends on who that person is where their mentality's at and like what they actually value as well I think I mean, what's your stance on that I've got clients who do photo shoots. And I said, I client to a photo shoot about four weeks ago, and they're coming on to the podcast. 
on Wednesday, and I've had other clients do it and come on to the podcast. Susie uh, came on us. Um, I'll always check of like, why are we doing it? What approach yeah. do you want to take? How much of a lead time are we doing? Why are you perfect? And also making sure that they know that it's like six to eight weeks of aftercare afterwards. So it's two months of work with me after. And that's not to benefit my bank balance, it's to make sure that you are okay. That, right, did, like, we shouldn't be losing your menstrual cycle during it. There's a way to do it without losing menstrual cycles. Some people can push it too far and lose their menstrual cycles. And I don't personally think that's okay. But if the person is prepared to do it, I can't stop them. I can give you all the benefits and pros and cons, just like with the doctor, being able to give you the pros and cons to it. And then it's up to you to accept what, what ways you want to go around it yourself. So if I had clients doing it, the few that I've done it with, I think they've done maybe 10 photo shoot with clients and all 10 have done it for the right reasons. I've had clients, I've had another probably five or six people have reached out to their fitness photo shoot with me and they, they were doing it for the wrong reasons. So I was like, I don't think you're ready. And three of them have actually come back and said, thank you for not letting me do that. Um, so I'll always have a conversation on welcome call with a client that wants to do it and say, right, why are we actually doing it? I was like, well, to push myself and to show that I can do it. So the client that is the most recent one is a mom uh, has a decent sized family and she has three or four kids and then she has a busy profile job and then but she's kind of in her mid forties and she wants to do it to show what's capable in your mid forties and look back at something she's proud of. I was like, that's a pretty freaking cool reason. And I was like, we made sure so we went through the checklist of what's your relationship with food like. It was fine. We we were at like, I think we're at 2,200 calories or something like that. So it was, and she got down to really, really decent levels. She's super active and stuff with work. She works in the, she's a personal trainer herself. Um, so she was super active. So she's on high enough calories. Did we get down to like, like where you can pinch the skin? No, but we also didn't want to do that. Yeah, that's it. Like it's just a matter of making sure you're doing it for the right reasons. And the person, I think that's, it's good what you're doing there, having the aftercare after. Because I think that's something that maybe doesn't happen with some people where the coach might want clients to do a photo shoot. And it's like, right, 12 weeks to do a photo shoot. And then that's you done. Get your before and after up. Then, right, you deal with your own shit. Not my problem anymore. I'll get, some, I'll get five other people in to do photo shoots as well and keep pushing my business. And then they're leaving the person. Um, yeah. And I think that's where problems tend to come in. And something you touched on there as well about asking the right questions. I think it's important for people who are on with any sort of coach to do because a lot of the time, like I've had, so I've been talking to people who have said they've been on with a PT for a certain amount of time and then they've been asking me questions about nutrition or fitness where I'm sort of sitting, I'm answering them, but in my head I'm thinking like this really should have been covered by, you know, whoever they were on with as a coach. But I think there's a bit of a, like, there's a bit of a responsibility both on the coach to provide the right education and information, but also on clients to ask as many questions as possible. Like it's one thing I'd always make sure anytime I'm doing anything with a client that I explain everything to the point where it maybe it might bore them, but at least I'm doing what I think is the right thing and making sure that they know the reasons behind every change we're making with nutrition. You know, if I'm telling them to eat protein, I'm telling them why. If I'm telling them we're dropping calories by a certain amount, I'm explaining why we're doing that rather than just saying, eat this amount of food, do this training, don't ask any questions, 
you know, do what I say and you'll get a result because for a result to stick, like PTs, I often, I often sort of make a comparison to being like a driving instructor. Like if you, if someone was, you know, say someone turned around to you at age 30 and was all, yeah, I'm going out for a driving lesson here. And you're like, when you start driving lessons, they're like, ah, I've been on with my instructor since I was 18, but I still don't really know what I'm doing. Like, I don't want to do it without them, you know, they're to kind of hold my hand, you would kind of go, oh, what are you, what are you talking about? Surely you should be able to drive by now. And I think that's what, that sort of situation where like, when people are on with the coach, you, you want to be able to learn as much as possible. So asking as many questions as possible will mean that you won't need help in future and you'll be able to do things yourself. You know, it's one thing like I have trainings in my education portal for clients where like, I, it's something that coaches probably don't do. And it might not be, the best business move for keeping clients on but like i have trainings on making your own gym program and trainings on you know how to set up your nutrition like every client comes on there's a series of videos that i have them watch to educate them on how to do things themselves so i like the idea that if a client finishes up with me they know how to write a gym session themselves you know they know what to put in the session they know what to look at for the nutrition they know sort of when to change calories and when to when to hold when to maintain um because it means they can maintain their results far longer than they're actually with me and they're not always going to need to end up going back to a slimming club or going back to another coach and another coach and another coach because they still don't know what they're doing yeah, yeah no, i think it's, it's it's important to ask the right questions and i always ask my clients like why do you want to lose weight and there's like what i want to lose weight it's like yeah but that's like saying i want to be a tree that's like it's not a big enough reason you need to understand why you want to do it like if it's for like, why do you want to lose weight? I want to lose weight because I want to be fit and healthy. Why do you want to be fit and healthy? I want to be fit and healthy for my kids. Why do you want to be fit and healthy for your kids? So I can get into photos. Why do you want to get into photos? So my grandkids have memories of me. There is a why. There's an emotional attachment. Who else is going to impact? There is a why. They're the, that's the, they're the things you go to when you don't feel like doing something. Because motivation is fleeting. I call it motivation motivation. It's 100% linked to your mood. On the days you're ready to rock the world is when your mood is great because you've probably done your walk, your training, or you've eaten well, you've slept. The days where you haven't slept, you're completely stressed. The days where your mood drops and you drop yourself and you drop the tools that have worked for you. So you need to be clear on your why. You need to look at, right, is this going to, I always have a checklist of, right, is the approach that you're willing to, is, I'm always like, people want to have a restrictive approach of the night, right? Every other approach has it impacted your relationship with food, and they'll go yes. Has this? Has this? Um, have you ever stuck to it for longer than a week? No. Have you been able to have meals out without food guilt? No. So there's three questions there you've asked. You've answered in a negative way. So do you think that was the right approach for you? And you're like, no. All right. So I'm going to teach you how to do that. And do you think it's more important? But as you said, really, it was like, well, we're not eating protein to lose weight. We're not training to lose weight we're not walking to lose weight we're walking to look after our mental health we're eating protein to keep our bone health we're eating we're training to get strong most people will focus on doing something to lose weight but that's a negative outcome at the end of it it may feel like it's a positive thing but it's to to cut something it's to lose something it's to do something negative so there's major major elements that you need to um to look at i think because it's such an emotional topic that we're trying to control other people are thinking of us. It's a, it's like, that's what your weight is. When people say I was happy at that weight, as I said already, or 
fear of judgment of eating a certain thing of like, well, they must be thinking because I'm eating this salad, I'm a nice person. Or because I'm eating this pizza that I look like this because I've had that pizza. But what happens if that person actually tells you you're an amazing person? You wouldn't believe them. It's more to do with how you feel about yourself. You're changing yourself out of hate. It's never going to work long term. And you're never going to have success long term. If you're changing yourself at a place of acceptance, understanding where you're at right now and understanding you, your beliefs, your habits, your behaviors, awareness of why you do things and looking to improve those things one step at a time and being consistent, watch the world change. Yeah, absolutely. Like that was going to be a very, very important conversation for people to listen to. I would probably listen to it twice. It's definitely one where I'm going to be listening to it again and probably sitting down with a pen and paper because there's that much to actually unpack. Um, but before we head off, just want to give you a chance to just tell people where they can find you. Um, so you mentioned the podcast. Where else can people go to find you and your content? Because I think it's going to be really, really big for a lot of people to find you and follow your stuff. Yeah, so thanks so much for having me. And I know we've got something to announce pretty cool pretty soon as well for the two of us. So at Shane Walsh Fitness on Instagram, shamewalshfitness.com if you want to work with myself one-to-one or in the female follow-up group which starts on the 4th of september and that closes on the first and then there's the share Walsh podcast which is out every monday and wednesday so there's loads of places to find me loads of different topics and um, so yeah if you want to ask me any questions stuff feel free to dm me or give us a follow and we can open dialogue there if you want to work with me as well yeah, that's one thing I'll definitely assure people as well as with Shane. Like, if you ever message him on Instagram, he will give you all the advice and help that you need. You know, he will he'll, he'll be very good with getting back to people and being very helpful. So definitely reach out to him um, if you have any questions about anything from the podcast. So, yeah, thanks very much for listening and thanks for coming on, Shane. And definitely, definitely do this again soon. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. Thank you so much for listening to that new episode um, and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So if you have enjoyed it, please do tag me up in your story. Please do share it with your friends, family. Please leave a review up on iTunes, Spotify. Please do follow the podcast. I think that I don't think people realize how important that is for getting traction and stuff. So please do that. If you're interested in working with me in the Female Follows program, it starts next Monday, the 4th of September. And it is 99 euro for six weeks. Taylor program, Taylor training for home or gym. You'll be taught how to get break that all or nothing approach that you may have to get away from city food rules and it will get you the results that you're looking for as well. There's also, if you are interested in bringing a friend along, there will be an extra benefit for there. So closes on Friday the 1st of September. So you haven't got an awful lot of time. So if you're interested in it, please do click on the link in the show notes and get yourself signed up and I will see you in the Female Follows program. Thanks so much for listening.